0: Hi, I am Andrea, and this is Empowered by Darkness, a podcast for anyone seeking to dive deep into all parts of themselves, especially the darker ones, to become empowered by the integration of these into uncovering your unique expression and purpose. Here we shed light on the self-hatred, the resentment the need for validation and saving, the fear of being loved, the illusion of power and damaging patterns, and many more topics that will challenge you to bloom wherever you are currently planted. Welcome to your life's work, take a seat, and let's get started. Hi, welcome back to the Empowered by Darkness podcast. I am your host, Andrea. Now, today's topic... I'm just going to jump right in because I am excited to talk about this. Today's topic is one that I like to geek about in most of my conversations with... I'm going to be honest, with friends. And actually, it's so funny. I just went out for coffee today with a close friend And I just had to bring up the topic of today's podcast in our conversation, because I feel like this topic of today that we're going to be discussing in just a second could honestly have been the introductory episode for my entire podcast. And the reason why is that, as we know, the name of the podcast is Empowered by Darkness. And I have talked before On this platform about what darkness means to me and most of the time when I speak of darkness I am talking about uh, the emotionality of our existence as human beings. I talk about the perceived dark emotions. For example, I talk about, you know, sorrow. I talk about guilt, shame, embarrassment, disappointment, emotions that we don't normally embrace as beings here living a very complicated experience. So that is what I mean a lot of the time when I talk about darkness. Today's episode is really delving into the coexistence of difficult emotions and experiences with joyful ones. I feel like as a society there is a lot of avoidance, of challenging experiences that naturally bring up emotions that are very just uncomfortable. And they, a lot of the time, are messages. I am am sure that most of you have heard the statement that when an emotion is brought up inside of us, It is really just a message aiming to give us information about something that is happening in our being that is seeking to be heard and given space to really just take a second out of our daily motion because we are constantly in motion I know that my listeners are probably doing other things as they are listening. I know that I do when I am listening to podcasts. But there's a real power in in slowing down and really looking at our experience as we are experiencing it. What do I mean by that? One thing that I'm going to be touching upon later on in this episode is the power of perception and being A observer of everything that happens when these challenging emotions come up after we have just experienced something challenging. So I want to really begin just talking about where this interest stemmed for me in in looking at the way that joy exists in sorrow and sorrow exists in joy. You really cannot have one without the other, at least in my opinion. That is my belief system. I began researching this topic by looking at the the thought leader. Um, His name is Henri Nouwen. And he was just so fascinating to me. Henri's story is one of a lifelong struggle with loneliness and anxiety. And these are things that a lot of people nowadays are struggling with. I know that I have had my own issues with especially anxiety. And I still have bouts of anxiety. And it's something that I am very much still dealing with. But I just know of people that have this struggle just as Henri did when he was alive. And, you know, at one point... This turned into a downward spiral for him of self-rejection and despair. And Henri, on his path, when he started turning towards self-reflection and when he started looking at his faith, he came into this stunning discovery that in his life, he constantly saw how sorrow shaped his joy. He said in many of his writings that when he numbed pain, he was actually numbing joy. And when that happened, he started feeling depressed and the apathy started to set in not too long after. So then there was this like epiphany moment for Henri where he realized that maybe, just maybe, The blackness of the night is necessary for us to really perceive the glory of the stars. That's kind of an analogy for realizing that when Henri sat with people that had suffered just like he had, people that had been whipped by depression, and I mean whipped by, you know, this illness he found himself to actually be in awe of these people because there was a level of depth, empathy, and humanness that was captivating to him. He noticed how he was able to extend this observation to other things in his life. He started really writing about how the most beautiful music that he would listen to and the richest writing in history that he could recall came from souls of people that have actually been dragged about by suffering in life. And that was like this crazy dichotomy of like, you have people that have suffered immensely and yet they're creating beauty. They're creating art that speaks to the soul. And when I wrote this I remembered an instance in college when I don't know if you guys know but I'm I was a literature major in my undergrad and I read a lot the writings of T.S. Eliot but I never knew the story of T.S. Eliot but his writings were always so captivating to me because he had a way of depicting the gray scale of life like that in-between state between joy and hope and suffering and and there were like I remember reading The Wasteland and, and just being mesmerized by the imagery of vacancy loneliness but also there was like hope sprinkled all over that and that to me was fascinating. And I was reading for this podcast about T. S. Eliot's life, and his friend uh, Robert Sencourt actually wrote a biography about him. And he was talking about how, you know, T. S. Eliot was diagnosed with a hernia illness when he was very young. Uh, it was called congenital double uh, inguinal hernia. As a child, he was diagnosed with this illness, and it really prevented him from participating in many physical activities. So he was not able to really socialize at a very young age. He was the boy that would sit curled up in the window seat behind this enormous book that he was devouring, um, and he was kind of conjuring all these dreams of becoming a famous writer while he was in the midst of a painful lifestyle because he was ill so I remember like I had that memory of the writings of T.S. Eliot but I never knew his backstory and he created so much beauty in his art and yet he was in the midst of immense suffering from a very young age. I like a quote from Henri Nguyen that when I first read it, I immediately like jotted it down on my journal because it was just so r- relevant to everything that I was thinking about um, related to sorrow always being interconnected with joy, at least in in my experience. And the quote reads, and I'm going to read it for all of you, because I think it's just beautiful, the way he writes and the way he creates imagery um, through his words. So Henri writes, When we are crushed like grapes, we cannot think about the wine that we will become. The sorrow overwhelms us makes us throw ourselves on the ground face down and sweat drops of blood. Then we need to be reminded that our cup of sorrow is also our cup of joy and that one day we will be able to taste the joy as fully as we now taste the sorrow. When I read that quote, it It just provided this immense sense of expansion and hope for a very complicated life experience. And, you know, jumping into the episode, I think that a lot of individuals today, and you might be one of those individuals, you know, my listeners, they might subscribe to having lived the majority of their life with this ideal. I know that I had. Many people living today have this primary goal of happiness, of of finding happiness. And happiness is often tied to milestone moments. What do I mean by that? So milestone moments mean moments that are reached after having put in some work like getting a promotion, making a lot of money, graduating from school, getting accepted to a dream school, getting married, having a child. These milestone moments make it so that joy is something that we constantly strive for. It's continuously outside of our reach. And like I said, there's no criticism for living this way because it is a pattern, it is a story, and it is one that we are taught from a very young age. Our parents saw their parents do this. It's kind of like this dance of searching for the next achievement. And so we learned to do just that, as it was reinforced by the spaces that we would come to occupy after leaving our home, after moving out and making our own lives. Think back to a time when you thought in terms of, I'll be happy when this happens. For instance, I'll be happy when I finally get to go on vacation or I finally get the car I've been saving for. I'm not saying that these things don't bring real contentment because we know that they do to some extent. But what I am concerned about, it's the in-between time, between now and getting that thing. That in-between time is where we suffer. So we suffer and we come to a high, only to fall back to a low. After that milestone comes to a conclusion. When we look outside of ourselves, to people maybe, like anticipating a relationship to bring us joy. Or we look to a point in the future that's really not certain. For instance, when my mom became ill and I couldn't pursue grad school anymore. I was constantly looking to that point in the future of me being able to just automatically after I got my, my undergrad degree, I was going to go on to the next thing, which was my gra- graduate degree. But guess what? You know, life happened and I couldn't achieve that milestone. So then that anticipation for having that assured thing to look forward to, It was gone. When we do this, when we set these milestones and we set this standard for ourselves to meet in a certain amount of time, we really no longer have agency over our own joy because we've come to associate it so strongly. And maybe we're doing this subconsciously. I have seen many, many people that say, I am happy even if I don't get this thing, even if I don't get the relationship, even if I don't get the promotion. And yet, subconsciously, they are living chained to getting that outcome. And if they don't get it, it's like they form a story in their head of, of what that says about them, what that says about the amount of joy that they can allow themselves to experience. I know that that has been the case for me even though I haven't consciously acknowledged that I am operating in that way unconsciously I am doing that. So then when we do that we kind of become these slaves to outcomes and to individuals that we're pursuing. And I actually I remember hearing once I don't know who said it but it's just like this thing that stuck in my brain. I, he- I remember hearing when someone say that humans are not designed to stay excited or happy forever. Because eventually these feelings, they wane down. But since there is this messaging that I'm talking about in our brains of, of what experiences mean about us, it's telling us that You know, we need to not rest in other emotions, but we need to chase the feeling of contentment once more. We start to feel restless and we begin the looking once more. In the meantime, the majority of our population is doing something called numbing the uncomfortability of this stage of transition between what you could call A mundane situation because it's really just existing with other emotions that are not as exciting as the high of a milestone it could be emotions like boredom like powerlessness like loneliness these emotions are not as appealing as having fulfillment joy playfulness excitement but the thing is that like all feelings happiness is transient we cannot grasp it and keep it indefinitely what we can do is try to exist in the present more often and in the present is where feelings associated with joy they arise more organically because we aren't trying to force them but instead we are compassionately embracing all feelings that arise for example and i was like do i want to share this example on the podcast but i it's just such a perfect example of this thing that i just mentioned that i'm like i'm going to share it yesterday i had a difficult morning currently i am a caregiver to my mom As she's going through a very challenging illness and in the morning when I woke up I was feeling very hopeful about the day and when I went to tend to my mom uh, she was having a difficult day emotionally and she had a an angry reaction towards something that I said I said it with the best intention to take care of her and to make sure that she didn't get hurt but the way that she took it was negatively as though I was undermining her strength and just trying to make her life more difficult I went to the restroom because I (laughs) like the way that my house is structured I can't I don't have my own space kind of to show emotion so I went to the restroom and I broke down crying because I felt I felt very hurt I felt very powerless and in that moment I thought wow this is something that I wasn't (laughs) expecting to feel on a Saturday morning but I just let it all out because it was very heavy to carry I thought that that emotion was going to pretty much color my entire day, but it didn't. By the end of the day, by the evening even, I felt something different. I felt, actually, I started to feel hopeful and I started to feel playful. And the reason why is that I started adopting, and I recommend everyone listening to try this. I started adopting kind of like a self-care evening routine. So what I did was, I first I did a a guided meditation, sitting on my bed. Um, Then I watched something that catered to my inner child. I think I watched like a show that I really liked when I was younger. Um, It was probably... Honestly, like... I think it was probably Anne with an E. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that on Netflix. It wasn't when I was younger that I watched it. But it was just something that reminded me of my childhood. Like I saw another show when I was little that was very similar to Anne with an E. So I just started playing an episode and I was laughing and it just felt very lighthearted. And then after that, I did some exercise and by the end of the night, I played some music to just like... Kind of shake off all of the heaviness of the morning. And I was laughing because I was, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I was dancing to Soja Boy. I don't know if you guys remember that song. Um, I didn't know that I still remembered the dance move to Soja Boy. But as I was playing it, I was like, oh my God, I remember every dance move. I was just alone in my room dancing to Soja Boy. And I was laughing my ass off because I was like, I didn't know that I remembered everything. Even like the Superman move. Oh my God. Okay, let me stop. But my point of sharing the story is that my morning was very difficult, very rough. But I felt it. I allowed myself to feel it, to cry it out. And... I didn't tell myself stories like, I am weak because I'm crying, or I didn't tell myself I am not a good caregiver because I can't handle moments like this of tension. You know what these stories do? And so many of us tell ourselves these stories. What these stories do is they end up creating a kind of block between you and the release of the emotion. Night I was like, I cannot tell myself a story like this right now because it's only going to create more tension and resistance to healing from this. So I didn't allow myself to do that. And by the end of the day, I just honestly kind of the inner dialogue I had when this was going on was this is normal. Like my mom reacting in this way, it's neither her fault nor my fault. It's just part of the experience. It's so challenging for a parent to go through cancer and to see themselves just changing their ability to provide to their children because now their children are in some ways providing for them. And I was like, I understand the difficulty and I'm not going to sit here and dwell over the stories that can come up that speak negatively about me or about her. Because it's just an experience, it just is, and it provokes sadness, but there's also the opportunity for joy on the other end. In the past, I would have actually thought of myself as being kind of off sorts for experiencing two strongly opposing emotions in one day. <laughs> um, actually, if you look at the emotions wheel, I encourage you to look that up on Google just type emotions wheel um the emotions that i experienced in that one day were kind of in the opposing sides of the emotional wheel (laughs) but i practiced feeling without judgment and just honoring whatever showed up as information discovering that emotions just pass through me i don't have to form a story about them and you don't have to either I see that unfortunately in our society, people are trying desperately to avoid the uncomfortability of the stories they tell themselves whenever they feel these darker emotions. So they rather distract themselves in very destructive ways, like abusing substances, overworking, overachieving using sexual intimacy, often to their detriment, being constantly in connection, which let me have like a little side tangent about this because I feel so passionately about the, the topic of distraction through connection because I have been just, I've, this has played a lot into my life. If you think about it, distracting yourself through a connection it places an insane amount of pressure on both partners to fulfill each other's need for joy. So what actually ends up happening is that the partners come to resent each other when one or both of them, you know, they come to points in their journey when they have to fall away because they have hurtful emotions that they need to tend to. And they take time and energy, this takes time and energy away from the codependent partner That depended on him or her to do this very work of feeling the emotion. So there's that resentment that is built between the two of them. And a lot of the times the relationship ends badly. A lot... Sorry. Another thing that I see very often as a distraction is mindlessly scrolling on social media platforms. I have done this before and I still do it. And I catch myself doing it and I stop but it's definitely a big one, especially nowadays. Also, binge eating and any other activities really that that brings someone away from the root discomfort and into a kind of fabricated and artificial joy that is so fleeting. So if we are trying to avoid our own stories like I've mentioned, And yes, sometimes those of others that we have adopted as truths, like the society story of what emotion means, a lot of the times for especially men, it's weakness. You know, if we are trying to avoid our own stories... How can dropping these narratives liberate us from this unhealthy style of dependency on unhealthy ways of coping? For one, dropping them and calling them out for what they are, fabrications made by people who don't want you to be connected to your power. Because it's easier for them to profit and commercialize from your belief That feeling your sadness will end up in being so detrimental to you that there's no other thing to do but keep it at bay, either through consumption or another way that benefits profits. Think about it this way. If consumption were to cut back because people suddenly decided to sit with their frustration or their hurt or their insecurity and watch it transform into something else entirely, That brings some comfort down the line. The sales of things like alcohol would go down. The sales of cosmetic products to hide imperfections would go down. The sales of antidepressants may even go down as well. And since your dependency on things, on products, on experiences outside of yourself would begin to decrease, the power of these over you will also subside over time. And this would make you, one, have more confidence in your ability to self-regulate emotional changes, and two, and most importantly, you would have more certainty that you are a creator of your internal reality and not just a reactor that needs to be at the mercy of consumerism, which is what feeds a lot of the... Just very big corporations that are amassing profits. A point that I wanted to bring up that's almost a topic for another video, another podcast, but I'm not going to make it a topic of its own. But I wanted to touch upon it in this episode because there is a societal pressure to be happy and this ends up hurting those individuals that are actively working to improve their mental health. The current collective understanding that is sold to us is that short-term effort can and will create long-term happiness. So putting in work today, putting it in and day out, perhaps to build your company, it will create long-term joy because you will be self-employed and have amassed success for yourself. This is a very common example of of this idea of short-term effort leading to long-term happiness. I see a lot of entrepreneurs that subscribe to that belief that really putting in the most work day in and day out, it's going to create long-term happiness. That's just Meant to be assured because you're putting in so much consistency and effort, really. So I, I'm i not saying that it's wrong to put in effort and wrong to try and to be consistent and to be, what's the word, ambitious. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when you have like this equation in your head of like one thing is going to lead to another and that is what I am hanging by a thread for um, it becomes toxic to your mental health because joy becomes the product of a short-term effort that has to happen or else you're missing out and just think about all of the people that feel so unwell emotionally that they cannot bring themselves to put in short-term effort they feel stuck in their reality And remember, like, think back to the beginning of this episode where we talked about Henri uh, Noel, how he was living in bouts of anxiety and self-rejection. And many individuals today are in that exact same spot. So if they're feeling so unwell emotionally, and they're so stuck in that reality and that story about themselves, how are they going to put in the short-term effort that's going to lead to long-term happiness? They find themselves being encouraged to feel their emotions as, you know, this is not really a real solution towards securing long-term happiness because they aren't moving anytime soon. They are staying put in place. And this is, according to our society, the last thing you want to find yourself existing in. Because if you're, God forbid, you were, you know, put in place... In this the spot that you're in right now for more than a year, you know, if you hadn't achieved advancement or leveling up as people like to call it today, if you hadn't done this, then are you really living your best life? A lot of people like to use those words today and they are so hurtful to individuals that are really trying to attend to self-rejection, loneliness, anxiety, depression they are feeling stuck and these people absorb the words of the collective and since they cannot find themselves being capable of shifting emotionally at this moment, they do what a lot of people do. They go in search of distractions that create the illusion of progress in the direction of long-term joy because they are moving, but they're moving away from their pain Not necessarily in the direction of joy or healing. It's simply movement that keeps them stuck in an endless loop. So let me move on to the next point. I think I've driven the point of, of the way that we are seeking fulfillment as a society today. So let me move on to my next point. Why are so many of us resistant to feeling heartache, to feeling pain? I'm going to be honest with you, there is no one proven theory for why human beings resist so strongly feeling these emotions, but I like to think of it from different angles. For one, I know that many of the people in our society have especially at a, at a very young age, witnessed hurt, whether they can consciously pinpoint it or not. And this hurt has made them feel so out of control and at the mercy of particular individuals in their lives, like a guardian, a parent, or a significant other, that they have really shut themselves out completely to the experience of emotions that resemble this pain. It's a protective mechanism. And what's crazy to me is that it can be very convincing to us that we are moving toward a position of now having control of our lives when we avoid coming back to a place of feeling vulnerable, like in our earlier life. Even though we still feel miserable, because on the other side of these heavy emotions that we avoid, we continue to find a sense of emptiness that we cannot shake off. And I really do know, and I I believe it strongly because I have felt it, and I know people that have felt it that are close to me, that at least one person that's listening to this podcast can relate to the sentiment. It's kind of a paradox of humankind today, because though we imagine ourselves to have escaped that which has harmed us, we are very much still victims as we have become our own victimizers, not allowing ourselves to feel. Just like we were prevented from doing so at the points in our lives when we weren't the ones that were steering the ship. Another reason for our avoidance of hurt can simply be our ego, the part of our psyche that is driven by fear, whether conscious or not. We self-protect by guarding ourselves against that which we've become to associate as something undesirable. For instance, you can associate feeling grief with weakness or feeling disappointment with ungratefulness. Our ego simply keeps us in our comfort zone, sometimes to our own detriment, as individuals that are seeking to expand and become more aware of our blind spots. So it doesn't matter the reason. What's important to note is that the only explanation for this behavior will matter at the end of the day is your own unique conditioning that led to this avoidance with awareness of this you can begin to foster immense change so why should we try to feel it all as opposed to shutting out the perceived negative what benefits does it have for us what is on the other side I was just talking about why many of us have come to be guarded and cautious with our experience of our feelings. One of the main takeaways is that our conditioning through earlier years, coupled with our experience of a lack of control and the risk of this, informed wanting to stay away from tapping into feelings of shame, exclusion, sorrow, jealousy, boredom, etc. Therefore, a lot of the time, we only allow ourselves to be expressive in a few emotions that are comfortable for us to emote and have others see us express. The direct opposite to this way of being is that of a child. Children, they actually don't approach life experiences through the limited vantage point that I just described that we come to adopt through conditioning. And that's mainly because children are like blank slates that have not been impacted deeply by various different life experiences that have discouraged tapping into these darker emotions. Therefore, they approach all experiences with curiosity, with openness, with natural compassion because they don't have preconceived judgments for breaking down in tears after seeing an animal being hurt, or breaking down in tears because someone just said something mean to them. They really just allow the natural flow of emotionality to course through them. And here is the powerful takeaway from this example. Have you noticed that, like the example I shared of me earlier, switching from one hard emotion to a lighter one in the span of hours, children could be crying their eyes out one instant and the next they're the most content you've ever seen someone be. To be honest with you, I actually used to be cynical and say that the reason that this was the case was because children could obviously oscillate between emotions so easily because they didn't have as many worries and responsibilities as adults. But the truth is that the experiences are the same. A child, like an adult, has an uncomfortable experience that evokes a particular emotion, asking the body if it could be expressed in order for there to be what I call congruency between the event and the reaction. And then it becomes up to the receiver to choose to allow the emotional flow or to resist it for whatever reason or aka the ones that I just spent a really long time discussing, um, the reason this channel of information that's flowing is so clear for children is not because they don't have worries or responsibilities like us. It is because they don't necessarily, they don't unnecessarily question the flow of their experience and what it asks of them in the moment. And adults... They do a lot of questioning, whether they realize it or not. And this questioning creates dissonance as opposed to congruency. And over time, the dissonance suffocates us. So think about the person that loses a loved one, but they never allow themselves to grieve. This is huge dissonance between their experience and the natural flow of emotion. Your emotion only wants to inform you that this experience deserves feeling hurt. And once you acknowledge it, it will send its message and go its way, leaving you to feel like you can move on to the next experience that's going to evoke the next emotion. Do you see now how this action actually opens up so much room for honoring every experience and allowing it to shift inside of you? what it wants to change for the moment being so that you can feel balanced after instead of uncomfortable, empty or lost. Another thing that's important to learn from this comparison with children is how at this stage in their development, they have the most natural wonder and openness that allows them to experience joy more easily not because their circumstances are constantly improving or always staying good like our society strives for but because these children they tap into vibrancy of every moment and there's usually a moment like this embedded in every day even the ones that are tough to get through and us adults in contrast we don't connect to every moment We either disconnect from it and instead connect with our thoughts about the experience or our perception of how the day should be going. Or we extend it to just pondering about how life should be in general. And how we're experiencing frustration that it's not the way that we think it should be. And we get lost in that frustration. And again, this is our attempt to be in control and to constantly exist in aversion to what's happening in our lives. So therefore, I think that the reason we should strive to be more childlike in our approach to emotions is that it brings us back to reality and away from like this murky thought process of judgment, of stories, of anxieties, of worries. So... Like, when our feet finally become firmly planted in reality, even if they falter at first, we are able to see how complex and yet stunning life is. It's really a place where there's constantly, and I mean constantly, there's a mixture of sorrow and joy that allows us to experience meaning in our time here on Earth. We learn to open up to joy, When it arrives, instead of being lost in the future thinking of the next best thing that we're going to pursue, or being stuck in the past imagining what we have escaped, that we wanted to avoid. This allows us to have a greater appreciation of happiness, as like a sacred visitor that comes and goes, but no matter what, we will be okay in its momentary absence. We will still be worthy, even when happiness is gone for the time being, and we are experiencing harder emotions. Eventually, when we learn to treat all other experiences and their corresponding emotions as these passing visitors, we don't become as attached to any one of them. We actually open ourselves up to the power of our perception. We come to realize that we are the ones that are actually calling the shots, as crazy as that sounds. And yes, the experience is still happening outside of our control, and it's eliciting an emotional response. But we are, at the same time, powerful observators, choosing not to form a story about this, that will keep us stuck in victimhood, or striving for empty accolades. Another thing to realize is that when we expand our threshold of tolerance for other emotions like sorrow and shame, for example, we also expand our inventory of life experiences. We become more open to allowing situations to occur without blocking them with our aversion for feelings that they will evoke. And oftentimes on the other side of these experiences are transformational shifts to our persona. I remember that when I shared my experience on this podcast, um, having experienced sexual assault for a period of my life, I opened myself up to the emotion of shame. And in turn, I had the experience of having someone that I cared about reach out to me to share their own experience with assault and I was even invited by this person to collaborate with them on a project to help other victims of assault. And that only came from me opening myself up to experiencing shame and to still choose to honor the entire experience, even with the uncomfortable emotionality that was tied to it. Just to sum things up, sometimes joy is felt when we are at our most vulnerable like I was when I was sharing the experience of being sexually assaulted when we are at our most vulnerable that's when our hearts open to just accepting life for what it is without the conditioning, without the unnecessary stories about what it says about us to other people it just is I remember when my Aunt was in the hospital and she was very ill. I would always comb her hair every day and come up with a new hairstyle that I would look up on Pinterest. So, one of those days that I was doing that, um, our family was in the room with her. And I was there, and we were all very sad and worried because the doctor had just told us that my aunt's conditioning was worsening. I remember that. This sadness, it actually only lasted a few minutes before the whole room burst out in laughter because they saw how like one of the pigtails that I had combed on my aunt's hair had ended up being higher than the other one and it looked so silly. And this moment of joy, of of laughter, it coexisted so effortlessly with the worry and the fear. Obviously, this didn't make the sadness or the hurt about my aunt's health prognosis any less sad. It was still worrisome and and hurtful. But it did help us to see that there could still be joy, even in the midst of deep pain and worry. In examples of my own life trajectory until this day, I have numerous examples of coexistence of these two emotions spanning from the days that my family still lived with my abusive father and we would find things to laugh and joke about even after my father had just had a violent verbal outburst that made us all feel afraid and sad I also remember times when our family had economic struggles, and we felt fearful at a particular point. But we also felt excited and even cheerful when my mom would cook our favorite dish. Even when it was one of the most like inexpensive dishes, it just made us happy. And to my mom's current reality, you know, with her health setbacks, we celebrated Christmas at the hospital. But we, even if we felt saddened by this, we still felt deeply grateful and and joyous to be able to still open presence with her and laugh and experience a family moment. So, I've been talking a lot about the coexistence of these emotions, why it's important to feel them, why do we avoid feeling them, but how do we actually move toward Changing toward embracing all of it. How do we stay open? You will always hear me defend awareness as the first step. Become aware of where in your life you are currently avoiding openness. Take an inventory of the practices you are using to avoid experiencing the perceived uncomfortable emotions. When you have gained awareness, that's when you pinpoint how it is that these practices are impacting your mental health. You cannot want to change the practices if you don't first notice the harm they are causing you. This is where many individuals struggle in identifying how their current practices are not serving their highest good, their highest peace of mind. When you have identified the lack of support that these practices are presenting for you, that's when you make a resolution to do different from now on. Even when the initial process of change can seem like it's not giving you the quick satisfaction that past actions were providing you. Because remember one thing, though the past actions gave you quick stimulation and satisfaction, Their long-term effect was one of apathy, loneliness, and even emptiness. Feeling lost and exhausted from chasing this continuous high. So then we get to looking at the actual feeling. I want to encourage you to try to find what grounding practice works for you as you transition to feeling the emotions that stem from your experiences. And grounding, just to clarify, it simply means that the practice that you select is geared toward anchoring the emotion in your body momentarily. But just enough to have you feel it and get from it that which it's trying to show you. And practices, they can range greatly. They can go from like the obvious meditation to playing basketball outside for 15 minutes every evening yourself while all that you're doing is you're thinking about the way that a particular emotion is sitting with your body what is it causing in you what is it bringing up don't shy away from it and finally we get to compassion there's no formula for taking in life without closing our hearts which is the simplest way to summarize what I've been talking about until now Have compassion for figuring things out as you go. The number one quality you really need for maintaining this openness is simply being willing to keep feeling even when you do not understand what, if anything, it is changing in you for the better. Accept that you may not know this for sure, but you're going to back to surrendering, that societal inclination to always be moving forward to the next best thing. Perhaps we can make peace with just accepting the now instead and dealing with things as they come. Don't you think that would release some of the pressure? I wanted to conclude by bringing things back to a macro perspective and just a view of our society in general. And how collectively, if everyone worked on doing these things, our world would become a much better place. When you commit to the things that I've outlined in this episode, feeling both the joy and the sorrow with an open heart, what this does is that it sends a message to those around you, whether it be your kids, your partner, your workers, your students, your family. It sends the message that you believe in the value of the present moment. And that you believe these important people in your life are strong enough to manage the lows and highs of life instead of needing to resort toward escaping them. What you do is you set the example for others that a life of continuous pursuit is actually not sure to give you a better destination than a life of deep feeling and surrender to all that is. And you inspire not only yourself, but everyone that knows you to believe in the power of their spirit to transcend darkness and integrate their life shadows into purposeful directions that can bring healing to the collective instead of more running away from ourselves. Because, for one, I believe that many are tired of this. I have been very exhausted from the constant pursuit. And finding that at the end of every milestone, I just feel further from my truth and further from who I want to be. And finally, what you do with this work is that you send a ripple across the fabric of our humanity that communicates unconditional acceptance and love because you have, at least for your corner of the world, chosen to let in all that is being presented for you to feel and experience and that you have found immense liberation on the other side. Let me just conclude by giving you some practical advice of how you can begin in this very moment to do this work. After you put down my podcast, after it's over, after this episode is done, what can you do to begin this work? When this podcast ends, I want you to grab a sheet of paper And write down the following. Be radically honest about how you felt this last week. It could just be a word, maybe a sentence or a paragraph. I'd recommend sticking with a few words. Keep it short, but keep it honest. Then I want you to fold a piece of paper and put it somewhere safe. And whenever you feel ready, and it can be right after you write the words down, Or maybe tomorrow or next week, I want you to to go back to the sheet of paper. And I want you to write down what seeing the words on paper make you feel. It's kind of like exploring a feeling within a feeling. The reason I want you to reflect on how it makes you feel to witness your assertion of an emotion is because it allows you to gain awareness of where you are judging yourself for the simple act of admitting that you felt blank i felt ashamed i felt frustrated i felt angry i felt jealous i felt frustrated i felt disappointed whatever you felt it speaks a lot to what's going on internally when you state how it makes you feel to state that you felt a certain way and from this point You can go places. (laughs) You can keep digging and discovering what is keeping you stuck and shutting away your acceptance of all feelings that come into your existence. I also, to be honest, ask you to do this exercise because sometimes all we need is to set change in motion and to not think so much on how we're going to get started on shifting decades-old conditioning because that can be very tiring And it can really dissuade us from just taking the first step. And that concludes our episode. (laughs) I encourage you to do this exercise and to share this podcast episode with someone that you think would benefit from feeling everything that comes up in their emotional body and their experience. I really believe that we are moving towards a time when, as a collective... We are going to stop pursuing the distractions and the endless milestones that leave us feeling emptier than when we started. I really believe that we are moving towards that level of healing, acceptance, and compassion for self. And it excites me to be a part of that even if only a few people listen to my podcast or this particular episode. I get very excited to feel that energy shifting in our collective and i want to thank you for staying until the end of this episode and potentially sharing it with someone that you care about so that concludes our time today i'm sending you all of my love and my best wishes for the time ahead until the next episode bye There is no right time to begin working on the parts of ourselves we may have neglected for the majority of our lives. If you're here, it is for a reason. I am so proud of you for asking the tough questions and delving into what comes of these. May you find the deepest healing and transformation on this path. Thank you.